0: Hey everyone, Sandy here popping in to let you know that for the month of January, we are re-releasing some of our most popular episodes from 2019. And we're doing this because behind the scenes, we are planning an exciting new relaunch of our podcast with a brand new name and a slightly brand new direction. It's all happening in early February. In the meantime, come join us on Instagram, at Namastream, to be the first to know about the new podcast. And we might even sneak peek some of our new branding. For now, enjoy this episode and be on the lookout early February for our new show.
1: Ready to create the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. We've done it ourselves after leaving careers in law and clinical practice. Like many
0: other professional women,
1: we wanted the freedom and
0: flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our growing families.
1: But we still felt drawn to contribute to build and to create for us that looked like founding software companies but for you that may look different our mission is to help other ambitious women build and grow businesses on the internet starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating but it doesn't need to be join
0: us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world i'm sandy
1: connery And I'm Jenny Barcelos, and this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. We love audiobooks, and we suspect that you do too. Because you're a Soulful MBA listener, you can get an audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial over at audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba.
0: Again, that's audibletrial.com
1: slash soulfulmba for your free audiobook. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Soulful MBA podcast, episode 130. I'm Jenny Barcelos, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sandy Connery. Hi, Sandy. Jenny, I'm nervous about this one. Oh, my goodness. Well, today we are sharing our money stories, so I completely understand your nerves, but I think it's an important conversation to have with ourselves, each other, and our community. It is, and I think it's specifically with –
0: women and money, and we don't talk about it. So I think that's partly why I'm nervous. But I think it's it it absolutely, we need to start having these conversations.
1: Yeah. And so this is part of a money series. So the next several episodes that you'll see coming out after this are also related to women and money. We reached out to some powerful women and powerful thinkers, and just we've been trying to create and curate a conversation about this topic. We're certainly not the only ones talking about women and money, but we haven't done that enough in our community. And so we want to bring that conversation here into our own brand and into our own business to start to not only shine a light on our own kind of money demons and insecurities, but also what's working for us mindset-wise around money and where we got our money stories. And so hopefully you'll find these next few episodes illuminating and will help you to come to terms with your own money truths and money stories. Okay, let's go. All right, I got some questions for you, Sandy. I like these episodes where we interview each other. Okay. These are my new favorite episodes. Mm -hmm. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you honestly and thoroughly answer my questions. Okay, (laughs) I will. I'll do my best. Okay. Okay, so I mean we really want to go back to the heart of the matter and your story growing up and I am curious what was money like for you and your family growing up. So
0: my mom was a single mom, two kids
1: and so it was definitely
0: tight. I feel like we never didn't you know, we didn't go without, but we certainly didn't have any excess and she was a nurse and she worked super hard and I think what I witnessed was a very, you work hard for your money, definitely learned that as a lesson. And that anyone who owes you money is not to be trusted. So you mm. should, you look at that smile on your face. I think, you know, because my parents were divorced and my dad had to pay child support and he didn't always. And so, mm. and I don't really know the story. Like I was little, I've never, we've never talked about it since which says something, but I know that she counted on that money and it didn't always come through. And I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know. There's no judgment there. It's just that that's what I learned is that you can't trust that someone's going to pay you the money that you are owed. And therefore you need to do the work yourself and be self-sufficient because you cannot rely. And Mm -hmm. even, I think I've told this story before, like even my mom who worked full-time as a nurse and went to the bank to get a loan for her car. And they wouldn't give that loan to her without the signature of her husband. And so again, even institutions are like, you can't do that by yourself. You need to go get help. And it's like, it's this unreliable system and unfair system to women that I remember that was my first like feeling of real anger. And I watched my mom just seethe with anger out of that that episode. Hmm.
1: So I'm curious about whether or not this story that you're telling me impacted your decision to go into entrepreneurship. I mean, did you know going into university that you would want to run your own business or was it during university that you made that decision?
0: No, I didn't. All I wanted to do was be a doctor and I didn't. I slept in for my MCATs and had a terrible, terrible result, which is like a sign. No, it wasn't until after when I started in a clinical practice that I realized like I could make money without a ceiling, being an entrepreneur, and that was like so. Nobody told me what to do. Nobody said like you can only make this much money. Like here's your weekly or biweekly salary. That was like so freeing to me. And it was from that point on that I knew that that's the only way I wanted to make money.
1: So, what about this decision to be a doctor as a child? Do you think that was rooted in money? No, no desire for money. No, no, not at all, not at all. I couldn't told you what my mom was a nurse,
0: and she said, "Whatever you do, you're not going to be a nurse. You're going to be a doctor because of just Mm -hmm. the, I think just the power dynamic, and perhaps she was speaking as far as salary goes too. But she, you work really hard, you work really long hours, you're not that well compensated, and she was like,
1: "That's you're not doing that. If you're going to
0: do this industry, you're going to be a A doctor.
1: I never put that together before actually that your mom is a nurse and that you went into clinical Mm -hmm. practice. That now that makes sense. Her textbooks, I would just thumb
0: through them. I just loved her her nursing Mm -hmm. textbooks and the anatomy and physiology books. So
1: interesting. Yeah. So what about you? What did you learn? I don't think we've gone deep enough into this story, but I think, I mean, we can come back to it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe when I pour my soul out on the podcast, you'll feel more inclined (laughs) to share some of your other stories or the details about your story. Well, I don't know. I mean, I've never really talked about this publicly, but I'm totally fine with doing it. Both of my parents have passed away, so I have no real, you know, I don't have anyone to protect. Mm -hmm with keeping this a secret. I mean, people who know me know this story very well. So for me, I have kind of a wild story. I mean, I grew up in a family that really went to the extremes in terms of money. Neither of my parents went to college, but my dad Was really, really smart and really savvy, like really smart. I wish I had known him really as an adult because I don't even understand the length to, you know, the extent to which he was a brilliant, brilliant man. But my dad was also a drug addict. And I don't know what other kinds of criminal things we're engaged with. I know that my dad was in and out of jail when I was growing up and rehab. And I didn't know all of that, though, at the time. So I have kind of a wild story. My dad was a musician and an engineer, but he had no formal training. And so I think because of how smart he was, he was brought into the telecommunications industry, sort of like the tech industry early on. And I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And so it was just the perfect place, I think, for someone like my dad to – be able to make a footing. I mean, you, you hear all the stories about the brilliant people dropping out of college anyway to found big companies. And I believe, like this is part of my own story, I believe if my dad hadn't been a drug addict, that he would have been one of those people. And he certainly was on the periphery of that. So, I grew up at times like very wealthy and at times very poor. So, we lived in a huge house on a huge... Parcel of property. Once I was about five years old, and it was extravagant. Like I, (laughs) I don't know how else to describe it. But then the electricity would get turned off, and there would be no food. And your mom was Um, at home. She didn't work outside the home since I was little. Yeah, she was home with me. And so, with your mom, your dad being a professional musician, was the income that he earned kind of. A lot, well, he and didn't then earn that- money from that. So he stopped. I mean, he made his money from his kind of engineering oh, work okay. and communications work. Yeah. And he had his own company and he also would work for other companies. He had his own consulting company, which I think is where all the money came from. But then the money would go dry because I think he would, you know, get too involved in drugs and then things would fall apart and then... It was a cycle, like probably a lot of addiction, people who grow up around addiction deal with. But it was, for me, very disconcerting because there were just times where I had all of the nicest, newest things. Like I was the kid that had like the fanciest house and the nicest stuff. And then there would be the times where we were like the poorest people. And so it was, I think, hot and cold and weird. You know, like now that I look back at it and I I don't know how that (laughs) – I don't, you know, I don't know exactly how I'm impacted other than I'm I'm like always confused by money. And did so I you, think that's, yeah. Did you, was there ever times when you didn't have food? Yeah. I mean, not, not like starving, but definitely when I was older, like when I was high school age, like a teenager, I would work to pay for groceries. So there was never times we were like hungry mm-hmm. because there's credit cards, right? I mean, like that's like my, I don't know, but I, I will say- You know, I grew up – by the time I was like a teenager and I was having friends call me like in junior high school, I had to listen to the answering machine messages, you know, just because people would call for me. And it was always like creditors calling and, you know, the water or the electricity would be turned off and – it was really weird, right? Because you drive up to this, like everyone around us were doctors, like all of our neighbors were doctors and their families. And so like you drive, like we were the house on the top of the hill down a private driveway in the Bay Area. Like you can imagine what that is. Like that's where I grew up. And yet we would be like, you know, definitely the black sheep, I feel like, because obviously the police come and take your dad away, you know, and they're like, you're in this upstanding community. And that's, like I never saw that I wasn't there when that would happen thankfully I was shielded from a lot but my money story is tied up in all of that and my mom my mom didn't like neither of my parents went to college like I said and so my mom wasn't positioned really to earn a lot and she had a lot of fallout right from what was going on with my dad it was all always like just this constant struggle just to keep everything together and I have an older sibling that's that's 9 years older than me and so by the time I was aware you know, by the time I was like nine years old and aware of what was going on around me, he was gone. And so it was really me <laughs> sort of navigating the world in this space. But money for me, like money is just confusing. And I did not have the experience that you had to work hard for money because that wasn't what I grew up with. I grew up with it like money would just appear and then money would be gone. And I felt like it was not something that I had any control over or that anyone had any control over. It would just like sometimes be there and sometimes not be there.
0: Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. I just was reminded of a story when I was like a grade four. So like 10 years old or something. We, my mom, as I said, is a nurse and she was a pediatric nurse and she chose to bring in a foster child into our home Mm -hmm. who was paraplegic. And so he had a wheelchair obviously. And so we had this, and he was like less than a year older than me. So we just totally butted heads just being at this age and, you know, boy, girl. And like, who are you? You're coming into my family. There was a lot of weird feelings for me to, for my mom to invite another child, being a single mom. Like, why are you inviting another kid into this house? And I remember her father, my grandfather arguing with her and yelling at her that this was a bad move, you know, like financially, how are you going to handle this? And I have a memory of being at, what's it called? Wolco? Is that something you have in the States? It's like Walmart now, Wolco. And we had to buy shoes. And I wanted these cougar shoes so badly because they were so cool and they were new and totally dating myself, I realized. And Joey, this foster child also needed shoes for school, but he doesn't walk. And I remember my mom only had so much money and the cougar shoes were more. And so she had to, I remember her like, we were both like, we want these, we want these, we want these. And she couldn't afford to buy two pairs of Cougar. So she ended up in that moment taking a minute of silence and coming with back with the solution that Sandy gets the Cougar shoes because they are a better shoe and she actually walks. And you, Joey, don't walk, so you get the cheaper shoe. Hmm. And I remember being wow. so like, oh. How did she decide that? Like, that is a very logical, non emotional decision because Joey was mad and I was super happy. And it looked like I was favored because I was the biological child, you know? Oh my God. And so I just remember thinking, like, when you have money, you really need to think where does it go? Like, what are you purchasing? You have to think through you know, the value of what you're buying, does it make sense? And I just can imagine that how hard that must've been to say, no, like, sorry, paraplegic, you know, you oh don't get the this. Right. Isn't that
1: terrible? Yeah. difficult. Yeah. No, I didn't have, I, I never knew that this went on. And so do you feel like your mom tried to teach you lessons about money No, or was it all just kind of passive? Yep. Like you just observed these things. Yep.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. We never talked about money. We never talked about saving. We never talked about debt or credit cards or anything like that. Did you? You probably, I'm going to guess not.
1: <laughs> I mean, no, no. Just like, I mean, we talked about money all the time because when you don't have any money, like when you have periods of insecurity, money is a really big deal. So I never went without, I mean, in terms of material things until I got older, like I said, and as a teenager, like. I didn't have a car, which is really weird, right? Mm -hmm. Like where I grew up in Northern California, there's no public transportation in the Bay Area. Like I was in the suburbs. And so like, what? You know, (laughs) like, why don't I get a car? Everyone I know has a car and I didn't get a car. Like there's just literally no money by the time I was 16 years old. And so, I mean, I left home at 16. So I, that's part of my story is that I, I left because of how Insecure, my home environment was, and I I took a test to get out of high school, I, and then I went to college early, and so that that enabled me to have some space from this situation. But you know the real the real money story played out when I got to Berkeley. I went to UC Berkeley for college eventually after some <laughs> tumultuous teenage years, and I couldn't after my first semester. Because w- I think you have to be 23 for financial independence in the United States. I don't remember now. But it's not right when you're 18. And it's certainly not when you're 16. And so in order to qualify for financial aid and student loans to go to school and to have money for housing and food and to live in the, the dorms or the co-ops, you had to fill out this form called the FAFSA in the US, which is, allows you to then apply for student aid, student loan aid. And my dad refused to do it. He's like, I don't want anyone knowing any of our business. And I was like, but I'm in college, Dad, and I'm not asking you for any money, but I need you to fill out this form so that I can qualify for student loans. And he's like, no, I'm not doing that, which was just... You know, it was my, like college was my escape. It was a place where I could go and kind of be taken care of, like have meals three times a day and, and like have stability and have some, some amount of control over my life. And I just remember the crushing experience of thinking I wouldn't be able to go to college because I didn't have I wasn't old enough to be financially independent, even though I was, and that my parents refused to fill out these forms. So my mom didn't refuse, but she like had no idea about money, like she had no idea about taxes or money or like she wasn't the one who could fill out the forms. And so I had I met one of my who's someone who's become one of my best friends because I was crying at school and she came up to me and she had the same kind of life's life history. And she told me that I could apply for financial emancipation for my family. And so I went through that process in my first year of college so that I could apply on my own. And I ended up getting basically a full scholarship to school. And then I just had to work. I worked 40 plus hours a week all through college to pay for my room and board to be able to buy books and have a place to live. And I shared a tiny room with another friend who had a similar situation financially with her family. So I, I sort of found my people, like my core group of friends in college were all people who were, who had come from these kinds of tumultuous situations. Like none of us came from regular traditional families. And so that also, I bonded over that money story and that insecurity. And I I had that financial independence really early. So um I was able to in a way escape my parents money story. So
0: when you were able to be financially independent and you were you know working and being able to pay for your room and board, did you have any like did you save the money or did it just like come in and go out?
1: Oh there was no saving. I was surviving. Mm-hmm. Oh no, there was no way to save. I mean, I worked as a nanny. I worked so I worked as a nanny every day after school. So I had to schedule all my classes around it. I worked as a waitress during the lunch hour. So I had to schedule my, I was always late to my afternoon class because I would take this one afternoon. There was like this one period of time, like after the lunch hour. And I worked at the faculty club on campus. And so I was like serving professors and like fancy people, you know, with food, but I got free food because I was a waitress. So that fed me one of my meals. And then I would rush and be late to my afternoon class. And then I'd have to leave that class early to go pick someone's kids up from school and take care of them and then I would make them dinner and I would get to eat their food that I made them for dinner so two of my meals like it was no I was like surviving Mm -hmm. like raw survival like I didn't sleep in college I mean, I I also had a f- good time. I went out, like I had a social life and I, I did really well in school and I worked all the time. And I also had a job, like a government affairs job and I worked for I worked for the Democratic Party in California. Like I did a lot of other work that was aligned. I was a political science major in college. And so I did a lot of political work, which didn't pay very well, but it paid something. And then I, I mean, I just worked my tail off, right? And And so that was my story. Like I didn't have... And I I actually graduated college without any loans, which is amazing because I worked so, I mean, I got a scholarship and then I worked really hard, Mm -hmm. but there was no, nothing to save. Like I was literally survive. I mean, surviving. And what was your relationship to debt? Were you? Did no debt. I I mean, I had no debt, but I I didn't want it. Yeah. I was terrified. So when, when time came, so my dad passed away, my senior year of college, which was, Terrible, and and I didn't. It was Thanksgiving weekend, my last year of college, and this is all tied into my money story. Actually, now that we're talking about it, it's all impacted. Like you're probably remembering things about you, but I stayed for Thanksgiving weekend. Like my parents were living in North Carolina by that point; they'd lost their house, all part of the same story, and then they'd moved somewhere cheaper, where our family's from, my mom's side, and. I had planned to go for the holidays to visit them because I hadn't seen them in a long time. And I ended up deciding to stay in California and work because I could make good money being like a wages privately in a wealthy person's house during Thanksgiving. So instead of having Thanksgiving with my my parents and my brother, I stayed in California and worked for this really wealthy family and basically did their dishes and served them on their fancy plates and then that weekend my dad died and I wasn't there he died suddenly and that's all tied and I was just trying to earn extra money and I had applied to law school and graduate school and and so the day my dad died was like the monday so he he died the sunday night and the monday I had my informational interview for Yale for graduate school in San Francisco and I hadn't known that he had passed away yet and I went and did my You know, I went to like meet and greet the Yale advisors and alumni in San Francisco that day. And then when I was leaving that event, I had a voicemail on my phone from one of my best friends because my mom didn't want to tell me from 3,000 miles away that my dad had died. So she, anyway, called my friend, one of my best friends and then she called me and said, I need to meet with you. And I was like, why? <laughs> so that that whole thing, it's all related, right? Like I didn't get to say goodbye. I feel like I didn't get to say goodbye to my dad because I was working so to earn extra money. And, um, and then I ended up being terrified. So I had this moment. I got into a bunch of law schools and I got into graduate school for environmental science, which is what I ended up doing. I ended up doing both. And I I knew I would need to take out loans and I was finishing college. I had worked so hard not to have any debt at all. And I had no credit card. I had nothing. And then I knew that if I went to an Ivy League school and like I went to law school, I would have so much debt and it it paralyzed me. So I ended up deferring graduate school and law school for a year. So I could really decide if I was willing to do that.
0: And do you know, like, were your parents... Like, did they talk about debt with you? Like, were you aware? Did you see he, over here fighting around
1: debt or money owed or? Oh my God, fighting around money all the time. Mm-hmm. But it was like not around student debt. No, I mean, no, my parents debt, had no relationship debt. to any of that. No, it was more like there's somebody who's going to like hurt us if we don't pay them back. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, I have no idea what kind of, my my dad, you know, like, I don't know what happened in his world, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's all kinds of secrets, like when you have a parent that is an addict or has a criminal history you know like mm-hmm. you don't, don't really know. know everything that went on yeah. i know that like it was actually dangerous i mean i there was a moment when i was right before i left home so i was 15 probably 15 and my mom was really upset and i like i re- i figured out something was missing like her wedding ring was missing and then i like ran to my room which my bedroom was over our driveway up on this hill and i could see my dad exchanging paper bags in the driveway with some man there's always like random people showing up and it, he had traded my mom's wedding ring Ugh. for drugs and God. i saw it right like that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and so my mom was really sad cuz it was her wedding ring and it was gone. Like she all like, but when we had times that were affluent, my dad would buy her so much fancy stuff, like jewelry. Like we had, she had so much jewelry, and then he would then steal it from her and go trade it or sell it, pawn it for drug money when he didn't have money. So there's like this cycle of dysfunction. I guess that's the best way to call it mm-hmm. that went on constantly. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy-to-use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live stream programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. You can learn more at namastream.com.
0: Wow, that is tough. I have a friend who had a similar circumstance, and she was my best friend when I grew up. And... Her father was an addict, and her mother. I'd watch as she would babysit in the day to gain her own money because she had nothing. Like her dad just wouldn't share any money, and so she would babysit and she hide the money. Oh yeah. And after she passed away, my friend's mom. She I forget how it all happened, but she found that her mom had saved a savings account that her dad did not know about had put my friend's name on it and said, This is for you.
1: Oh my God.
0: And it's like this woman and my friend, her mom was a nurse and she saw what my mom did. She saw what my mom left my father, you know, go to work, figure out the childcare, figure out it all. And she always wanted her mom to do that, to sort of to model my mom's behavior because my mom was so much happier. And I think it's like these two extremes, right? And this woman had no control over her own finances. Like she did all the work, you know, raising three kids and keeping the house and, you know, all the things. And she had no, none of her own money and was unable to work because of the children and the child raising and so on. And it's just, I think we're gonna do an episode on anger. And this is part of it for me is like the women's lack of, you know, ability to have their own money, make their own decisions and their own freedom and that they're tied often, you know, in all the stories we've shared today are tied with that their partner, their spouse who Mm -hmm. make the money and have the control. And it just, there's a safety issue. There's a psychological issue. There's a, oh my God, you got to get out, you know? And like, did your, I don't know maybe this is too personal, but did your
1: mom ever Think about leaving your dad, and just- we did leave sometimes. Yeah, yeah, she left. I think she officially divorced him two times. Oh, when really? I was growing up, and then they'd get back together. Oh. I don't really want to go into yeah, why. No, that- that's that's not really about money, but. Yeah. I mean, it was super dysfunctional, Sandy. It was, it was bad. I mean, it was bad. Like I, you know, I'm sure people (laughs) are going to listen to this and be like, what the hell is this girl telling her story right now? But it's, I mean, it was really messed, like it's, it's like really messed up. And so, yeah, my mom couldn't leave. Like she didn't feel like she could leave. And so when my dad passed away though, then my mom lived for seven more years without him. And that was a struggle financially too, those entire seven years until she passed away when I was in law school and my last year of law school. So it was like that story continued for her. Um, And she, you know, at that point, by the time my dad died, she was, well, she was in her late 40s when my, no, no, she maybe had just turned 50 when my dad died. And so by that point, she hadn't worked, you know, for 30 years or Not 30, 20 years. And so she had a lot of emotional stress from the last couple of decades. And so she wasn't in a position to work. She went on disability, but it was really hard. And it was really, I feel like for me though, like my story has always been like, I'll show you, I'm not limited by your behavior. I have my own vision. I mean, I knew when I was 12 years old that I wanted to become a lawyer and I was like class treasurer growing up in high school. And I talked about money all the time. I raised money. I started my first nonprofit when I was 21 and was raising money and doing fundraisers. I mean, for me, money was not, and I had already been involved as a teenager in politics. Like I I worked for the vice president of the United States and I was on the campaign trail and I was attending fundraisers with like heads of state and like movie stars. And I was a around a lot. Like I put myself in a position to be around people that were not like what I grew up with and intentionally. Like I wanted osmosis to affect me. I like had this I knew that I I was meant for something in my life. I believed that and I knew that if I was just around the right people, it would work out. I mean, that's really what I believed. And so, I put myself in situations like when I I moved across the country, I worked two jobs. So I worked a full-time job during the day. And then I worked at night and I had temp jobs. I worked basically all the time. And on Craigslist, like before Craigslist got really creepy, I went and I found like every weed pulling random do-it-yourself fix-it job. Like I worked all... Like I was always finding the most random jobs. I was always like dog sitting or house sitting every weekend. Like I had all the jobs. And I bought myself a car and I drove across the country and... I lived with a country music star, (laughs) like in order to work on a presidential race. And I, you know, paid rent, a little bit of rent to live there. And I, I worked like 24 hours a day. I mean, for years, like around the clock to show, to prove my worth. And like, I had no money to the point that people, like one of my friends bought groceries, who was a colleague of mine, a coworker of mine and put them in my car during, you know, like, because she knew I couldn't afford to buy food. I just, like, ate free food at work. And I have so much, but I was, like, I am not going to be defined by this. And I put myself in a situation where my dad was in prison, and, least at least for part of this time, and I was working with, like, the kids of senators and judges and, like, people who ran television networks. And I was just, like – I'm going to be like these people. Like th- this is who I am. I know this inside of me. Like I know I'm meant for something important and great. And you know, when you grow up as the child of an addict, cause this is like not even about money now, but it is right. It's all about money. But when you grow up in this kind of insecurity, it goes like, there's two paths, right? Like you can like feed into it and get defined by it. And I was like, hell no. I'm gonna go the other way. So like I was disgusted by drugs and I was disgusted by like my dad's behavior in particular. And I just chose the exact opposite thing I could find. And it turns out in this like world of privilege, there's a lot of drug use and like a lot of crime also, but it's different. And I chose not to be part of that world. Mm -hmm. And do you still think you said you chose to prove your
0: worth by working? Do you still believe that?
1: Well, at the time I had to do it. I mean, like I had to beg to have a chance to have a seat at the table. And then once I showed what I was capable of, then I feel like I belonged. Does that make sense? So yep. for me, making my way into the working world, like I wanted, I mean, I, I was trying to prove myself, I guess, without having any credentials. Do you th- believe today that working hard means you're going to make more money? Absolutely not. What do you think?
0: No, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> not. You can work so hard and not make money. Like, it, it's not a proportional relationship at all. Like, I think... But
1: I, but I do think that there's a period that is required for that. So, like, well, this goes into entrepreneurship and it went into my career too. Like, I had to hustle for years in order to sort of prove myself. And then once you've done the baseline hustle, then it's not about hustling. And I think that's also true in entrepreneurship. I think starting a new business or a new kind of business like if you've already been an entrepreneur and you're starting like if, for example you're going online for the first time like i still think that there are months if not years of hustle involved in that of like learning how to do something new and sh- like doing really hard things and trying new things and you know failing a lot and i think that that is pegged to success but as you get to a certain level in your career or in your business where hard work no longer equates to success I agree
0: but also hard work just because you're working hard doesn't mean you're going to make money oh, no, now no, no! Or no it
1: later. Oh, it doesn't yeah. mean you're going. But it's a requirement. It's like a baseline requirement for a period. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you have the success you're mm-hmm. hoping for. And it can also mean
0: like psychological, like mental mindset work, right? Is hard work. Like yeah. just to go through those in entrepreneurship, those early, early stages. So what do you think is your relationship to money now? What do you struggle with? Or what do you do really well with money?
1: Well, I don't think... First of all, I don't think you ever really arrive. Maybe some people do. I mean, to me, I think I feel like I have a more positive relationship with money. I feel like I understand money better, but I still have demons about it, right? That I have to constantly come up against and I have to recognize that those demons are mindset problems or mindset or like insecurities or the relic of something in the past. And then I have to work through it. I mean, I believe that if you show up in the world and you provide value and you really give your full self to something and you know you're 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 giving something that somebody else wants, like you don't have to worry about money. Mm-hmm. And so I believe that. But I I also have moments where I wake up in a panic about, and I think I always will. I mean i I grew up in a situation that I don't talk about every day, but it definitely impacts me every day, right? Like there are still moments of heart racing panic and the sense that I think because things would just disappear, like I'm, I do get afraid that things like will just all go away Mm -hmm. one day. So that's my residual fear, but I don't really, like my thinking self, Sandy doesn't believe that that's going to happen, but like my Mm -hmm. animal lizard brain thinks that it's going to keep you safe. It's all about keeping (laughs) you safe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What
0: about you? Well, I think it's, for me, it's like holding on to money. So yeah, um, I do do think you have that. I like I feel secure if I have money and I'd rather have the money than things or programs or whatever. And so Mm -hmm. there's definitely a part of this where you need to spend money to grow. And, you know, we found that like we started doing Facebook ads and it was really, really expensive, but. The ROI was phenomenal, but it was like really hard for, for me to say, yeah, okay, let's let's do this. Let's spend this much money on ads. So I think that is my challenge right now is like, and I think we've, I mentioned this recently on one of the podcasts is like, I'm considering buying a house with my little mm-hmm. pot of business money. And I was super excited about it. And now I'm just like pulling back. Like, it's probably better if I just keep that money in case. It's probably better if I just have that in case I don't know, something happens to my husband or my family or, you know, something goes wrong with the business and we need to pour money. Like I'll just, it's like this huge security that nobody can take away from me and to put it into, you know, some real estate is like on paper, really smart investment move, but then I don't have that cash in the bank. Like, oh my God. So,
1: yeah. Well, so I think people should know, first of all, like like, this is an investment property house that you're talking about. Like you have your house and you own your house Mm -hmm. and you're wanting to buy a house for your business Mm -hmm. and have a place to work and have like a really sweet little office and have it be an investment for you. That's like in your name. Mm -hmm. And I think that, so just so people understand the context of what we're talking about for me to live in. No, it's an investment property. And so I think, yeah, I mean, I see this, I'm watching your money story play out for you in these, and you know, in in like recent weeks and days, with these conversations you're having with yourself about this, and it's so fascinating to me because I do feel like you are, like, part of your wanting to hold on. I think is that's what's different between us mm-hmm. is that you trust the process, like you trust the bank, and you, you know, like you trust that it's like the money somehow matters, and it's even though like it's not invested in something or spent on something, that it's still going to be there. Yeah. And I, which I think is the the adult, typical adult, <laughs> reasonable way to be. And I'm like, you only live today. (laughs) You know, like I have such a different relationship to money because I don't trust, like when people talk about retirement, I just like cannot stand retirement savings because I'm like, I think because neither of my parents retired. Like I don't, I'm like, oh, who lives that long? Like I have that, but also like I've also watched what happened with so many people in 2008, right. Where like people lost everything and I'm just like, "Hmm, yeah, that's not real. None of that's real. Like so for me owning land and like real estate or something like what you're talking about doing is so much more real because you can always leverage that. Like if if something did happen and you needed the money, you own something, you can sell it. But what if it and takes so 2 I have, like, years to sell and I can't yeah, liquidate like, it? Yeah, but like what do you need that like what know. is so urgent that you're going to need that money from that house for 2 years? Like you I have, have com- th- multiple companies, like you have money coming in. Like there would have to be a lot of really bad things that would happen. And like, I'm watching your story, yeah, right? Yeah, and I'm like, I know. there'd have to be so many bad things that happen for you to need that money right away. Like, mm-hmm. I can't even see how that plays mm-hmm. out. And so, but that's, you're, you're triggered by that fear. Yeah. It's so interesting because it's such a different, I could yeah, totally never have that fear.
0: So I also read, and I cannot remember which book this was in, but it was talking about like, this is the first time in history that women have had money. And mm-hmm. so women historically have not, like our parents Or our our mothers, they didn't have little pots of money. Oh God, right! Like they, (laughs) this is a new thing for women to navigate. That we've got money, and we need to decide whether we buy real estate or equity. You know, whatever, hold on to it in cash in in a checking account. And I think that whole idea, like this, is all new skills for women right now is like how to figure that out. And I was talking with an investment banker person who's female who dealt specifically like specialized in women, clients that are women. And she was like, it's so hard to tear the money out of there because they need to know that there's a security there in case their husband leaves them or their partner leaves them or, or whatever. But it, it's a very common thing just to hold tight. And mm-hmm. it's for men, they will much easier invest it. And I, as you said, trust the, system and be okay because they can get more but for women we don't necessarily like the best predictor of the future is the past and what i've seen is like money isn't there for you so you have to Mm -hmm. hold on to it if you have it
1: i just have totally different i'm like not a man or a woman in this situation i just i you know what i think it is i think the best investment is your brain like yourself And so for me, like, I'm so quick to spend money on education at all phases. Like, it has taken every ounce of me not to go get a PhD. Like, I have no reason to go get a PhD. I'm, like, two classes and a dissertation, which is a lot of work, by the way, away from a PhD because of the coursework I've done. And I'm, like, you know, back, whatever, 10 years ago. And I'm, like, I just really want to go get that PhD. Like, every – like, and, you know, like, um, 15 other degrees. Like, and then also all the online classes and the skills. Like, oh, I need to learn how to use – You know, like name the blank, like fill in the blank. I need to learn this skill. This is a way I I could leverage the skill to make money. So for me, I think it's like I want to learn all of the things and have all of the credentials and all of the background that I would need to leverage in order to earn money. And so I just that's the only thing I trust is my own brain. You know, that's maybe what it is, is I trust my mind. And I trust no system, no bank, nothing, (laughs) nothing else other than my mind Mm -hmm. to be able to make money.
0: What if you couldn't use your mind? What if you were so busy? You know,
1: then I'm going to be someone else's problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then I got to trust that I've built enough relationships with my family and close friends that someone's going to take care of me if I couldn't use my mind. See, and I don't think I can trust that. Huh? Wow. Mm Wow. Well, then if I don't have my mind, maybe I don't care and I yeah. don't know. And like somebody will kind of take care of me. I mean, this is like we shouldn't even – this is such so like far removed. Yeah. But I believe like – and I don't really believe in retiring. Like I don't plan to ever retire. Like I plan to do the work that I do in some capacity the rest of my life because that's where my joy comes from the work. I don't have any – like I, I don't fantasize about waking up and having no work to do. Like I don't want to sit and watch TV. I don't want to go like – in an RV and, and like go on a six month trip in an RV. Like I would, but I would want to work too. Like I, this whole like idea of retiring means nothing to me. Like I think that plus like there will be in my country, there will be no social security money by the time I am supposed to retire. The whole system is not geared towards my generation. And so like, I don't believe in any of that. I just believe I need to be able to leverage who I am in the world to earn money.
0: Hmm. I don't know that that's, Look, I've watched my mom retire and she's lives a great life and is full and she's not watching TV and she's doing all sorts of good work in the world, but she can do that because you know, she's exhausted from nursing physically, right? Yeah, I think like that's
1: a different kind of career though. Like I can do this and still travel yeah. and still enjoy my life. Mm-hmm. That's I guess, what I think is
0: different. Yeah, and I guess you just don't know what it's good. It's I don't have my retirement savings plan because I'm going to travel in an RV and watch TV. It's about like, oh I God,
1: have that, that such a good, <laughs> That's such a terrible thing to say. I just want to apologize to the world because I don't actually even know what retirement looks like because I don't know anyone who is retired. Right. And, but, and, but I mean, <laughs> it's, I just, any like, idea. it's just saving money before you have to pay tax on it. And you can do so much with that money. Yeah. Right. And sure. Sure. I think saving money is a smart thing. I just don't have a plan to retire. Right, Which is totally
0: different than, I don't know what you guys call it in the States, but we have RESPs here. And I think,
1: and like people, some people have pensions, like those things like don't really exist anymore. And so I think I just have no sense, like there's no sense that I don't believe I'll ever be taken care of. I think that's this, like, that's what you and I have in common, Sandy, is like, I don't believe, like, I don't think I'm going to be taken care of. I don't think like I can put, you know, 8% of my money into some account somewhere. And that somehow when I reach a certain age, that will take care of me. Like I also, you know, I'm a climate change (laughs) advocate and activist and not advocate, but like an activist. And I think like by the time those years roll around, like the shit will have hit the fan and like we'll be in chaos in the world. Like I, I also believe that, you know, so it's all about figuring out what I'm kind of like A prepper, you know, really. I'm like a digital prepper. Like I'm figuring out like what do I need to do to prepare myself for the chaos in the world and the chaos around me. You're going to need a pot of money that you can access to survive. I need like to learn how to build, I need to know how to build a fire from nothing. I need to learn how to like purify my own water, like from the the sea, like desalinate like (laughs) seawater. Hmm. I need to have like those skills. Those are the skills that are going to matter when I'm in that situation. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I'll need, but I don't think like having some pot of money in some account somewhere is going to save me it'll from save the me. apocalypse. It'll save me. I will. Maybe it will save you because you're Canadian. Yeah, you'll be protected. It'll be there. It'll be there. Our banks won't fail. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think just to wrap this up, I just, I really, I think these conversations that we're going to have over the next couple of weeks. Are really important. And I really want to talk about our dreams and our goals monetarily and just say that they're possible. And I want women to dream bigger and I want women to have full financial independence no matter what their situation is. I never want a, f- a woman to feel like they can't survive and are relying on another person. That's a big part of what drives me when we build a platform like Namastream and talk about, you know, do our coaching within our inner circle. I want. To support women to create the wealth that they desire, and I just, yeah, I don't think people talk about it enough. I think that women are sh- are shy about you know sharing dreams, or they feel like it's sort of yucky to talk about or inappropriate. And I just want to say that it's not. And like, I want million dollar businesses if that's what you want, if that's what you desire. Ten million dollar businesses happening, and I want role models out there for us to see, to witness, to watch, to be inspired by. And maybe you want a six figure business or five figure whatever it doesn't matter but just aim aim high and I want people to go and do it
1: I agree I totally do and I think that that's where this the like collective story starts right. to shift mm-hmm. is when we talk about this stuff and we lead by example in terms of the conversation but also the actual earning capacity and the investment capacity and we I'm going to say it as much as I can in this show that I, you know, we get asked all the time, what can we do for women women run businesses or what we can what can we do for female entrepreneurs or how do we make the the shift so women entrepreneurs are having higher success rates and more prevalence. And the answer is that women need to become investors. And the only way we become investors is by having wealth yeah. and liquidity. And so to me, that's like a huge part of what I'm doing, what I'm trying to teach my little girl, what what you and I are doing together through our company and through this podcast, through everything we're doing is how do we not only build the wealth ourselves so that then we can leverage it and support others, but how do we encourage other women to be able to be in the capacity to also become investors? And that's when the story starts to change. Yeah. Agreed. Awesome. Joy and hustle? All right. Well, after this, these joys and hustles feel a little silly, but we'll go ahead and share them. So for our joy today, we use Bench for our bookkeeping, and it's a really amazing hands off relatively hands off way to have a handle on your money and to be dealing with your money appropriately from your business the earnings that you're bringing in and I have no desire to do our accounting like the day to day accounting myself and so we've been using bench for years and years and the platform has continued to grow and and I just think it is well worth the you know 100 and $19 a month that the starter plan costs for businesses to be able to have this kind of caliber of bookkeeping where you can just like at a moment's notice, log in and look at your financials, look at your profit and loss, like compare it year to year and month to month. And really part of the first step of being responsible with money is like really looking at your money and being willing to look at the numbers because I think so often we're just afraid to even look at it. Like I don't really want to know what's in there, but it's important to look at it and it's the responsible thing to do. And as you grow and if you want to grow and be a real serious company, then you've got to get a handle on it. Yeah, so yeah, agreed. it's Bench.co. It's, it's pure joy to not have to do that bookkeeping. But if you are not at that
0: level, another option is fresh books. so you can you know, connect with your bank. And so all those different expenses are downloaded into FreshBooks and you can kind of categorize things. It's, it's a little bit manual, but it's much cheaper than Bench. So that is another option for you as well.
1: Yeah, and QuickBooks Online too. I use that for our mm-hmm. family, our farmer's market business, and I do the bookkeeping. It connects directly to the bank account. So you don't, you just have to do all the categorizations yourself, but it, it draws in all of the transactions and yeah, processes. So, so, so manually entering like, them. Use, use a tool, don't do it yourself. If like you can be helped with technology for a little bit of money, this is worth it.
0: Okay. And then the hustle is, it's really, I, I think this is so obvious, but I don't know that everyone does this. So for any business, consider getting a credit card that has one of the point programs associated with it because it's basically free money. So whether you choose to do you know, the 1% or 2% cash back, whatever the numbers are, I don't even know. But whatever you spend on your credit card, you can get that as cash back, 2% cash back, which is free. Like there's no harm or risk or anything. And then the other option is those point cards for, sorry, travel cards. So you can, a certain percentage of the the amount that you have on your credit card is points. And then you can take those points and cash them in for, you know, plain trips, whatever, car rentals. And so when I had my other business, we never paid for travel because we put everything on our credit card and we got free flights all the time. And it's just a smart way to do business. I think you do have a fee for your credit card, which is like, you know, in in Canada here, it's like 250. It's probably way less in the States, but $250 every year for that renewal of that card. And then I get free flights. So I'm more than willing to to do that. And you do have to pay like taxes and all those kind of things. So there is some cash when you book a flight, but you don't have to pay for the actual flight portion. It's just
1: smart business. It is smart business. And yeah. So if you are doing this, many people do this in their personal lives, but if you haven't yet started doing a points card or an airline card for your business, you absolutely should because you get to have the benefit for yourself personally through the flights, even though the expenses are for your business. And, you know, running a business costs money. And so you'll be surprised at how much you're actually spending every month, you know, like on different tools and softwares and contractors or employees. And like, you can use a credit card for almost everything. Yeah, but everything you have on credit card. And then pay it off, off every month though. Yep. Like don't pay the interest, pay the card off every month in full, but, and you'll just get the benefits. It's amazing. Yep. It's free money. Free money. Free money. Okay. All right. Well, that's a big one. We will see you next episode for a continuation of this conversation with some of the lovely women we've been interviewing for this series. And if you want to share your own money story with us, you can always email us at team at namastream.com or head on over into our Facebook group, Soulful MBA on Facebook. All right. Thanks, Jenny. Bye.
0: ready to go from I really want to build an online business but don't know where to start to wow I've just sold my first digital product that's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free become an online teacher course we've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher by the end of the week you'll have a digital product that's mapped out priced and ready to offer your community Head over to soulful.mba slash teacher to sign up. It's totally free.